You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Sometimes the biggest obstacle standing in our way as actors is ourselves. Whether it's self-doubt and a disbelief in our own abilities, or maybe it's giving too much weight to the criticism or expectation from others. Or maybe a shift in priorities came along and we have to make life decisions that go against our creative ambitions. To kick off Season 6, I'm talking with actor and coach Brianna Packin, and she's brought three stories with her today. One about the importance of training and mastering our craft. A second one on how the Me Too movement still has ramifications today for her as a mother and teacher. And finally, the need for balance and stability not only as an actor, but as an individual as well. These personal and teachable stories will give deeper insight into why I'll never make it. Hi, I'm Brianna Packin. I'm originally from New Jersey, Jersey Strong, the Jersey Shore, actually a little town called Bayville. I now live in Manhattan with my family, my two daughters and my husband. And I am a movement mindfulness teaching artist and an actress. And in addition to that, I also do executive coaching and communication training. Welcome and thank you so much for joining Season 6 of Why I'll Never Make It, a Top 25 theater podcast featuring honest conversations with fellow creatives and three stories from their own life of artistic challenges and personal hardships. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, an actor and singer myself who knows firsthand the ups and downs we all face. The website is whyillnevermakeit.com, where you can sign up for the Win Me newsletter and learn about upcoming guests and useful artist resources. Again, that's whyillnevermakeit.com. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, hello, Brianna. It is so great to have you in person and to meet you. It's so wonderful that you're on the podcast today. I'm so excited and I'm mostly excited to be sitting in front of you, another human being. This right. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I've been doing Zoom for so long now. You know, <laughs> you can still interact and, and get these, you know, great conversations, but there's something about having someone in person. So I, I appreciate you wanting to take the trek to Washington Heights. Oh, so happy to be here. I'm not far from you. So it was it was my pleasure. <laughs> well, 
One of the things that I love about your story is that you are just kind of all over the place when it comes to work, when it comes to, you know, obviously actresses, I would say is the main thing. That's what you do. And then you're just adding all of these other elements to your being an artist. And so how do you balance all of these and juggle them? Well, you know, I look at it more like a spider web than a ladder of priorities. So one of the things I used to do is I used to be like, okay, well, this is my first priority, my second priority, my third priority. And now what I do is I look at it more circularly. So I, I think to myself, okay, I'm a mom and mom is what I've been pulling closest to myself in the past three years. I've got a one-year-old and a three-year-old. I've got my artistry, my teaching artistry. So my acting and voiceover kind of hangs in one little, you know, one little string that I pull closer or let get further away and I teach movement and mindfulness and the executive coaching that I do with better on video so it's I pull them each closer as they're there and I take the ride with them and don't feel like I've got to prioritize in a way that has to stay stagnant in a certain order if that makes sense well one thing I like about that picture of the web is that instead of it being segmented like now I'm going to be a, a teacher now I'm going to be an actress now I'm going to do voiceover it's it's all encompassing it's all one big picture of you being an artist so so it's not totally. that you are one thing then another you are all the things yeah so when you take a more holistic viewpoint about it it just feels like oh yeah of course these are all my colors and these are all of the things that add to my artistry that add to my being and becoming because we're always doing that right so it's letting letting myself take the ride however the creative work presents itself to me well that really leads us into the first story that you wanted to share because as a movement and communication coach you've noticed how we actors can kind of get in our own way through what you like to call resistance playgrounds. Explain exactly what that means. Yeah. So there's so much to being actors that isn't just the work and doing the work. And a lot of stuff can get in the way of us actually starting to work. And I think... In my opinion, the, what I've seen over the years is people can actually do that with training programs. People can jump from training program to training program. I'm going to finish up this college degree and then I'm going to get into a studio and then I'm going to do a studio for two years. And then after studio, oh, I'm not quite ready. So I feel like I need to take more classes. And I call this the resistance playground. I say we can feel really productive in training. But until we go out there and we start making mistakes and getting on set and, you know, answering wrong, not knowing what it means to respond properly to a stage manager and the jargon or the lingo or not to know what's striking or where a chord is or where we look or how we stand in front of a camera, we're not really going to learn. And it can feel really safe and exciting to go from training program to training program, to class, and also feel like it legitimizes us. But you have to find a point where you just say, okay, well, I'm going to start now. And I don't have to be a master to start, but I've, I've got to begin. Did you find yourself in that training loop? Oh, my goodness. Totally. And I, I found myself wanting to find the stamp to me feeling like I was a master before I began. And then one day I went to another class and the teacher looked at me and she said, you know what? You know, you don't need to train 
right now. You need to go work. If you're going to train, the only reason for it is for you to get in front of casting directors that you might not be getting in front of yet or to be getting in front of artistic directors, to be getting in front of these people you haven't yet met. So training with a a specific purpose in mind, not just to keep practice, keep practicing. Which we can do. But right, the goal of that is to get a job. You're not going to get a job if it conflicts with your classes, right? And they're your priority. So it was more about take away this little safety net. And the uh, the War of Art says that too, that book. It's basically this really short book. And then it says, okay, now go go make, go do something. Right. Stop doing books and self-help and all the things that we actors love to jump into and go. And the moment that I looked at that and I said, okay, well, why am I doing this? was realizing my fear of people seeing me not be a great actress or my fear of not knocking everything out of the park. Well, I'm sorry, but you have to make crappy work. You've got to do things where sometimes the critic writes a little thing that says, oh, they were lukewarm or it didn't go so great. And you've got to put yourself out there and then be resilient enough to go make more work. I think one of the biggest things, especially when it comes to auditioning, is that We as actors, we don't get feedback. We go in for those 90 seconds, maybe five minutes if it's a callback or so, and then we don't get any feedback. We don't know. We know we didn't get the job, but we don't know why. Whereas in the training and those practice sessions and classes, we get that feedback. And so I think that's also something, even if it's bad feedback, we still like to have someone telling us, okay, you did this right, work on this. But yeah, that silence can just be overwhelming. Yeah. And There was something, another shift in mindset that I had was I'm going into this audition to meet somebody and to do my work, not I'm going into this audition to to book it or nail it, because that put a pressure on myself that made me completely disconnected from my body. I had such anxiety about going into auditions. And then someone said to me, you know, it's a numbers game. You've got to go to as many auditions as you can. And then you learn what your number is. And that's something I really saw with voiceover. I saw that if I go on a certain number of voiceover auditions after a while, I'm just going to book. It's just, it's a numbers game because that was the thing in my career that I had the most uh, accessibility into going to voiceover auditions. And I realized like, I'm going to go, I'm going to say hello to these people today. I'm going to do my work and then We'll see what happens. And sometimes it sticks and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, it's very interesting that you bring up voiceover because I know that for me, doing commercial auditions actually helped my theater and stage auditions as well. Because with commercial auditions, it's the most outrageous situations that they put you in. You know, I've yeah. I've had to pretend I'm on a slip and slide in a carpeted room. You know, I've I literally had to fight and blew up alligator. Yeah. You know, we do crazy things <laughs> right. when it comes to commercials, and you just kind of go for it. It frees and, you. Yeah, and often I'm not booking it because it's as you said, it's the numbers game. Transferring that to theater auditions, I found that I was able to be freer and like oh, I just need to go for this, present this, have fun with this, and whatever happens, happens. Yeah. One of my favorite things a director ever said to me was, prove me wrong. I think this is a bad idea, but do it really bad and prove, like, show me just how bad this idea is. And I feel like if we take that, like, wrestling an alligator, right, these outlandish things, when we give ourselves permission to just say, I'm, this is what they asked for and I'll do it, 
then we can take that into however high of a mark of an audition of how how nervous we are about it, right? Well, I'm going to give myself the full permission to fully bring my playful self to it. I, I love that. I love that you wrestled an alligator also. <laughs> Come on, a blow up alligator. I booked that one. I bet you did. Yeah, I bet yeah. you did. <laughs> because you went for it. Right, right. So you brought up the idea about getting out there and failing. And there's a safety net of being in the class that if you fail, you know, you're, again, that feedback, you have someone to kind of pick you back up. Okay, this is how you can do it better. When you're out in the world, when you're out auditioning, you're going to be failing basically alone. So how do you manage then that aloneness that can come with failure? So I always make the audition something on my way to something else. And it's usually like on my way to getting a Sunday. Or something really <laughs> delicious treat. So it's like, oh, I just have to stop off and do this audition. And then I can go get an ice cream cone or I can go play with my daughter at the park. So I try to take the pressure off the preciousness of the audition. And that works for me really, really well. Yeah, it's almost like the audition is just the stopping point, but your destination is really over here. Yeah, and I think that it's helped me manage my anxiety about the audition. That's what that means. Not that it's not important, not that I'm not as prepared as I could possibly be going in, but to take the pressure off of this has to be the best performance I've ever given in my entire life. Right. Uh, or I suck at life. <laughs> and one of the big things about auditions is that, is that they throw you curveballs. The director or the casting director, they want this or, hey, let's try this. Or, you know what, put down the script. Oh, when they yeah. say that, oh, I'm, I know I'm in trouble. Okay, put down the script and now just do this or do that. How do you deal with that anxiety? And then because the, that must bubble up whenever you get in these kind of situations. Of course. I think that it's all about the spontaneity, actually. So if it's all about the spontaneity, then it's about giving yourself permission in the moment to just say, okay, here I am. I'm flying without a net. And if that means you're scared, stating to yourself, oh, I, I'm, this is it. My nerves are up right now. Because it's, again, about popping the balloon of pressure. So... If it's like, woo, that's a big one. Here goes the script, right? Letting yourself be present with the feeling, but not letting it overtake what you're there to do. Because <laughs> I, I had a guest on, Michael Kostroff, that talked about the anxiety. And sometimes he would be in a nervous place or he, he had a bad day leading up to the audition. And then he would kind of use those emotions within the audition. Do you find that that helps you as well? Well, it's, well I think it's about honesty, and being present. And that to me is him being present. Where's my starting point? What am I actually feeling right now? Because we're looking for when we're making, when we're making as, as actors, we're looking for honesty, right? So it's like, okay, well, where's my honest starting point? And then from here, I can, yes, bring this to it, bring myself to this. This is what's going to make this unique. And also do what the script is calling for, do what needs to be done. But let's not just ignore the truth of the moment. The truth of the moment always supersedes everything. Yeah, because I think that my own nervousness or anxiety, instead of pushing through that emotion and kind of having that be, as you said, the starting point, I try to just ignore it, push it down. I try to come over. I'm going to now act and perform and be on top of my anxiety and none of that's going to show because I'm great. And I think that I know for myself it can come across as a performance rather than a conversation or rather than an actual exploration of these characters. Yeah, I think we all have those those exact moments where 
it feels scary to look at something and face it. You know, I think one of the the best things for me is to before I go either for whatever I'm doing, whether I'm going on stage for a presentation or I'm going on stage to act, I say to myself, oh, I feel I'm feeling a little bit scared right now or I'm feeling really excited or there's a lot of adrenaline going and then saying, OK, I go, what am I grateful for? I'm here. I'm in this amazing space with these amazing people and I have gratitude for it and then I can propel through it. But I think part of what you're talking about is necessary adrenaline and energy that carries you through the performance as well. So it's not throwing out the baby with the bathwater. <laughs> it's looking at it and going, hey, there's a, a lot of value to the excitement because it means I care about what I'm doing. Well, speaking of honesty and something pretty exciting that you got to do, you brought together formerly incarcerated women and professional actresses into this theater space. What, what exactly brought that about and how did that experiment work? Yeah, so this was something I did with, it was Shiro Productions and I was brought into this cast with these wonderful producers working with Eve Ensler, who's V, formerly known as Eve Ensler. She does V-Day, which is the vagina monologues. And I was part of this group of women that got to take it was half the cast was professional actresses, half the cast was formerly incarcerated women, and we did the vagina monologues for women in uh, Taconic, which is a state prison, and we went into the prison and got to create this art for them and carve out this space. Like the vagina monologues is a pretty, there's a lot in that that can get, people got very rowdy, there were moments where they were feeling so seen. There was laughter. And it was this moment of, I have goosebumps talking hmm. about it. I always get goosebumps talking about it. It was this moment where I realized how big theater can be. And I realized that being storytellers and letting these formerly incarcerated women come back to this place, some of them were in Taconic, and coming back to this place with this community it was, I can't, it was, uh, it was just one of those things where you felt like the divine was, was coming through you for what we got to create. And we got to talk about a lot of the women that are in prisons. It has to do with sexual assault. It has to do with them being part of either running drugs or m kind of very minorly on the outskirts of something that had to do with either domestic violence or with a man in their lives or a very abusive domestic home life that was very had a lot of domestic violence and it was very empowering to get to be women with them and for that inmate label that they have to fall away while we were there in this space with them and then for them to talk about just how much the piece spoke to them it was incredible 
I think this fully illustrates what we've been talking about, about letting ourselves be honest, really have come from that starting place of either nervousness or anxiety, or I'm sure being in a prison, I I know Mm -hmm. I would have a sense of just like what's going on, Mm -hmm. but then to start from there, but as you say, then come to it from an honest place. And that begins the conversation, not just with the people on stage, but then with that audience, because they must have been a different kind of audience. And they were riveted. And they were part of it, and they were whooping and laughing and crying. And it was, we got to give them this, and we got to sit back, because a lot of the monologues were done by these formerly incarcerated women, and we got to give them the stage and to support them through it and let them shine. And it was, I think it's the most brilliant thing I've ever gotten to be a part of. And then we took it and did it at the Cherry Lane with these formerly incarcerated women as well. And What was the difference in reaction from being in the prison to being then in a more formal theater setting? Yeah, it was received just as beautifully and just as... And there was a lot of people that are in social services that came to see it as well and got to see these women who have now... Re, they've taken theater and helped them with reentry into life as well. There's a lot of these programs now where people, there's therapies in these rehabilitations and in either in different groups that they can do while they're moving from a place out of, you know, being incarcerated and into the real world. And um, theater can really help people... <sighs> Sorry, I'm getting emotional a little bit. Um, Theater can really help people access past trauma. Theater can help people come back to their bodies in ways that, especially me as a movement teacher, to see somebody going through something that's hitting them so close to the vest and it also being processed in their body experientially to work with the women And just sit beside them. I did nothing but hold space and be there with them in this sense. I was part of their cast. But to hold space as a cast while people move through these brave things, it's pretty phenomenal and sacred. And then to see them be put on a stage and to see the this New York audience just go crazy for it and love it. And they were rock stars on the stage. It also spoke to the truth of bringing yourself to a piece because these weren't trained actresses, right? And their pieces were the most powerful pieces. So that too, just knowing your role in holding space and being beside a giant because humans are giants. We're emotional giants, you know, and seeing that come out was phenomenal in both spaces. really was. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, this leads us into the second story that you have, which is another experience that not just you had, but really society had, the Me Too movement. And you had your first daughter in yeah. 2018 as Me Too was kind of taking over, especially the, the entertainment industry oh as, goodness, as things were yeah. coming. And it was even impacting the studio that you worked at at the time. And so there was a bit of messy navigation, to put it lightly, as you were trying to come up with an exit strategy from yeah. the studio. Yeah, you know... I have two daughters now, and my first daughter is three years old, and she was born in 2018. And I realized a lot in holding this little baby girl in my arms that I was very responsible for what the future was going to look like for women, as we all are. And I've got this little woman in my arms. And I had this moment where I had to look at our industry as a whole, and I had to look at even more specifically, the studio I was working at at the time, where I felt like there was a lot of kind of iffy things that had happened over the years with relationships and student-teacher relationships and faculty relations and the power dynamics that go with this industry and what my part would be in feeling like I wasn't necessarily aligned with my values with things that had gone on in the place I was working. And I had to make a choice and I decided to leave. What was the final straw? The final straw was some information came to light about a faculty member and the head of the studio and what was very clearly to me sexual misconduct. And I had to go. I had to leave. And I had to say, hmm. I don't feel like I'm honoring what I believe to be healthy or important for these students by staying. And I'm not, listen, I'm not saying that I know the whole story or I know everything that happened, but it was in a moment in time where I absolutely knew that I had to believe her. You have to believe her. And that was the whole thing with me, too. And part of that was I I can't stay here. And it was a hard choice because it was also December and the years of the studio are, you know, September to, to March. And I ended at the year, the year end, not the end for the class. So my <laughs> abandonment issues with me leaving my students mid-year, who were all adults, but of course it was... I realized, too, it was just very abrupt to leave, and I waited till the end of the semester, and it was the end of, you know, the contractual year and all that. But you've got to look at my decisions are going to affect other people, too, but this is more important. And, yeah, I, I just couldn't stay. I couldn't stay anymore. 
Was there a sense that you needed to do something for this other person that was involved in it, or you just had to make choices for yourself? I had to make choices for myself. And, you know, it's so important to me with Me Too and with cancel culture and looking at the gray and not just the black and white, that there is gray, there is intention behind things. These are full humans with nuanced, complicated beings and relationships and, you know, that we're human too. Humans are human. But there was also for me a misalignment with the values of the power dynamics in the studio regardless of that. And when I look at it, it was a deeper construct of toxicity in the workplace and power dynamics of what I look at as the kind of guru mentality that can be often in studio spaces, especially, um, and I'm not trying to to bash the Meisner work or studios in general, but of that there's a master and that there's the student. And when you create a power dynamic like that, it can be very hard on the psyches of the students if you don't handle it with a lot of thought and care, especially when you're asking people to break down uh, defense mechanisms is one of the biggest things that they're being told. You've got to also help people learn the difference between a healthy boundary and looking at a defense mechanism that's not helping them when they're on stage as an actor. Right. It's actually inhibiting them from accessing these things that hopefully the teacher is wanting them to bring out. Right. But you've got to be really super mindful. And I'm not so sure that studios should operate without some kind of psychological training. Right. It's like maybe we need to be a little bit more careful about the way we work with people's traumas and the way we work with people's psyches, because a lot of the time I was spending with my students at this point was building them back up after they had been cut down. And the power dynamic of that and then the power dynamic of what I considered to be sexual misconduct, I couldn't I couldn't stay. Well, the thing is, I mean, sex is obviously a very powerful entity in and of itself. Sometimes it's used as a tool. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's used as as the whole Me Too movement brought out. Sometimes it's used as a way to control, to get something yes. that, that the person in power wants, while while kind of like putting little carrots, little, little candies out there for for their underlings. It's like, well, if you do this, I'll give you a little something. Right. You know, that was the whole power dynamic. Theater in and of itself is also can be very powerful, and I think that the the misuse of both was very similar in the sense that sex should be something that's a person-to-person experience Mm -hmm. where they're equals, and theater also needs to be that communal experience where they're equals, and there's not one over the other, they're one better than the other. Yeah, and I think there's something very sexy, or even to go further with it, not necessarily sexy, but sensual about good actors and being in the theater. Well, yeah, that that, that whole adage of, you know, talent being sexy. And and like you see someone on stage or in films like, oh, I want that. And knowing your part and when it feels good to be the person Mm -hmm. that's considered sexy because of your talent, there is a there's a transaction of power there that happens. And I think because it's so innately 
in the interweavings of what, because it's human connection, right? And then theater is human connection. And how much, come on, chemistry comes out of this one's dating this one who was their leading lady and their leading man. And this, you know, these two fell in love here and this one fell in love there. And for me as an actress, Listen, I've done that over and again. I have been, you know, throughout my years, um, there's too many actors to name, but to know (laughs) that there's those were my choices. And so I ask myself a lot, what is my accountability? What is my accountability in that dynamic in the theater? Right. And for me, I've always, you know, this is so interesting, too, because As a teacher, I always felt like maybe sometimes students thought I was aloof or a little bit less accessible than some, but it was making clear boundaries for me. And I think it's because the boundaries can be so muddied. And at the studio I was working at, I felt like boundaries could be very muddied at times. It became very clear for me to not fraternize with students in any way and to you know, at the very end of the year, maybe go for a drink with them or see them at their party. But it was hard for me to at times create, you know, I needed to create boundaries that sometimes I wondered, oh, am I less accessible than I want to be? But it came out of the dynamic of seeing where these boundaries get so gray and muddied and cloudied. And the fact that these people are pouring their hearts out and are looking at at letting go of defense mechanisms to be better. They're just trying to be better actors, but it goes into this very deep dive into their their person. And so for me, I always held that with high esteem that you're letting me into a very intimate part of you. And we've got to be clear that we know that this studio work is about one thing, and that's about helping your performances. And I think at the studio I worked at, it got more into the power dynamic sometimes of making the students wonder about their value as a whole person, mm-hmm. not just whether or not the scene went well. Yeah, it can be that whole dynamic of of being so, so open and you're exploring these characters, this scene work, that you want to be honest and portraying it and you want to be giving of yourself and... There can be with the person that you're in the scene with or maybe the director that you're all trying to get to this very honest place and the lines can get a little muddied as far as, well, is this the character? Am I connecting on a character? Am I connecting on a person basis? Because I I remember one time, this was one of the first acting jobs that I had. It was at the Summerstock Theater. And there was a line that, you know, so I'm, I'm an ensemble, but I had a few featured parts with, with one of the leads. And he had this line that was kind of very uh, aggressive to me. And, and that, that's what the line called for. And I took it personally, like he was mad at me that day or something, you know, mm-hmm. so it can be this portraying a character, but we're still ourselves the whole time. And it and can be hard to, to sometimes mitigate the, where, where those lines are drawn. Yeah. And I think it's, it's important to remember, we're always playing pretend. And sometimes, in a studio setting, that can be left out uh, as an actor is trying to make a great performance and be training. It's like you're still you're still you and you're still playing pretend and pretend should always be pretend. No one should ever. This is a whole 
other thing that's happening right now get hurt in the real world when they're being hurt in the imaginary world. And in training programs, I think sometimes uh, I see that line of that, take it personally, take it personally. Well, yes, absolutely. That can help you make a really great, strong performance, but also know we're playing pretend. It's under imaginary circumstances. That's the safety net. Right. You have to be able to walk into the wings, really let what happened on stage go. It has. To, there has to be a, a, a fine line there between the two. Yeah. And that's something that needs to be very, very of utmost priority when you're teaching an actor. That that thing you just said, when you go in the wings, it's it, let it go. It's over. And that can be where it can get damaging psychologically. Now, with you leaving the studio because of all that that was going on with the power dynamics and sexual things, how did you not burn bridges and the networking that you had created from yeah. there? Well... It's, this is really hard. And I guess, I don't know, as time goes on, I'll see if people want to work with me again, right? Uh, for me, the most important thing was to know that there are fully alive humans on either end of this story. And that doesn't mean that it didn't happen or that doesn't mean that it did. It happened exactly so, right? There's always There's always this navigation of understanding that human beings are complex and intention yeah it matters but you've also got to be mindful of what you are and where you are and what you give off and what your power dynamic is what your role is within a certain power dynamic I think that's the biggest thing that has come to light in all of this is when I just see myself as an equal sitting across from someone that might be the case, but if I've got a title that says you put your trust in me and I'm a mentor to you, then I've got to take accountability for the fact that that exists and that that's there. And for me, there needed to be accountability taken for the fact that what had been going on and the way that things were being run in the studio wasn't quite right or wasn't working in a way that felt good or safe. But I needed to remove myself from it because I didn't feel safe. So there's my accountability because I felt as though as a woman in power that had information that had come to light, that isn't my story to tell either. It's not my story to to run my mouth or go off about, right? So just to know I needed to leave. Information came to light I hadn't known about. I had to go for me. And I don't know if this is necessarily, you know, the best way to have handled it. It wasn't important to me to ruin the studio or ruin the person who runs the studio because I don't believe in the dichotomy of like just being evil or being bad. And I, I, I don't think that it's as simple as that. I think it's a very complex situation. Because we as humans, much like the characters we portray, yeah. there's nuance, there's gray areas. And That's that doesn't right. exclude people from, you know, doing the wrong thing. Oh, we just need to forget and forgive. No, there, there's consequences. But there also needs to be understanding that, oh, well, maybe they were trying to do this and messed up. Or maybe they themselves were brought up in something. So they have their own history that they're bringing into it. And for right or for wrong, that that's how they come across in the world. So there's, there, there's a bunch of gray area that we all live in mm -hmm. just as people. Yeah. So it was, it was that too. 
And it was also the faculty member that it happened to wasn't, it wasn't, they didn't want to become the poster child of anything. So it was, we're going to walk away. We're going to take this, me and uh, my long-term collaborator, who both we ran the movement program. We started these classes, movement for everybody. And we decided, you know what? We can keep a door open. If anyone wants to drop in, we're not going to poach students or try to take people away, but we're going to keep the door open. They're drop-in classes. Again, along aligned with this idea of training can become a resistance playground. So then what better than to have drop-in classes that you can come in when it works for you or when it doesn't work for you, right? And we'll find a way to just head out and we're going to let the studio handle this. And for me, that was the most important thing was I've, you know what, I've got to leave now, but I'm also not going to take my experience and the experience of just having information that I knew and tell all of these people who have invested all of this time, this year and a half, they've got a semester left or this year and they want to continue. And because the studio is, the studio is a wonderful in many ways studio. There was also things that aren't perfect. And there were also things that were just dead wrong. So knowing all of that and that adults get to make their own choices with where they are, with what they need, and I'm I'm not part of that story. I'm not the reason that someone's going to to leave. I'm not the and it, well, like I said, I'm not going to make anybody else a poster child, and I'm not going to invalidate the work, the good work that was being done there. One of my goals this season is to help deaf and hard of hearing actors and artists like John McGinty from season two by offering transcriptions of each and every episode. However, this is both time consuming and would add a major cost to the production of this podcast. Regardless, it is a step that I want to take, but I'll definitely need your financial help to do it. You could choose between a one-time donation or a monthly subscription to help offset the cost of this important service. Please go to whyillnevermakeit.com and see the ways you can donate through PayPal or subscribe to bonus episodes on Supercast. Whichever way you choose, your help is so very much appreciated. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So moving on to your third story, you talked about it a little earlier about your struggle with acute anxiety, and it's led you to a, a quest for mental health and balance as you strive to be a, a more reliable person to work with, to hang out with, and be someone who can really step in in those last minute things. So did you find a source or where that anxiety was coming from? 
Yeah. So I think like many of the actors that go into training programs was constantly on a quest to be great, to be amazing, to do everything so perfectly, you know, perfectionism. And I growing up was always just amazing at everything I did. I, that was my way of getting attention. It was, I was the captain of the swim team. I was the lead in the play. I was the president of the student body, just always working for being amazing and being the best. And it was my way of seeking attention. And it was my way of feeling valid of getting other people's approval, which is why I'm an actress, right? I, I, I go on stage and people clap and I feel really great about myself. How much does that, you know, come into fruition when you look at it? But I also thought that my anxiety and my fear, which often came out in anger, where I would just be, all of a sudden, I would just be feel like just completely overwhelmed to where I couldn't move or couldn't do anything. And that fear, I would either turn it on myself or I would be explosive to the ones I loved most. Right. And then I went into a training program where they said, that's good. You have your, your impulses are great. So that I was, (laughs) that I was told you're an actress. You get to let yourself, you know, go off how brave and to let anger show to let, you know, and I had to really find for myself this on my journey to becoming a more stable person, which has led me to having a healthy relationship, having becoming a mother, having all of these things in life that are so amazing and beautiful. I was so afraid that if I felt more stable in my life, that all the magic of my impulses that made me such a talented, great actress would go away. Hmm. And then when I became a teacher, because we want to, you know, we come to teach the things we need to learn over and over again. When I became a teacher, I noticed it as a very, just a theme in my students of if I'm stable, then I'm not going to be as talented. So there's that sense of being erratic, of being flighty, of just kind of going here, going there. I'm I'm open. I'm wild. I'm free. I'm spontaneous. I'm brave. I'm a messy actor. And looking at it. And then me seeing this repeat and just seeing all of these younger versions of myself come in through the studio over the years and thinking to myself, whoa, okay, there's there's a trick to this. You want to be off balance on stage, but in life, you've got to be really in balance to work, to have functioning relationships, to be somebody that they want to call back in, to be somebody that is reliable, right? So then I began to go on this journey of mental health. I went on a journey of mental health. I've been with my therapist for 15 years, going on, actually, I think it's closer to 17. Um, 15 years, I'll say, because that's a better number. (laughs) Um, And uh, I've gone into different One of the best things I ever did was DBT training, which is dialectical behavior therapy, which takes basically cognitive therapy and it brings in wise mind and it brings in how we can see gray and not look at things as black and white so that you don't have either heroes or, you know, fallen angels everywhere. I think everyone needs a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah. But what's so beautiful is right now, mindfulness and wise mind and seeing gray has become such a big part of 
finding health and balance in in lives right now. And I think that it's amazing to see it. I see these these DBT skills all over the place, whether it's on Noom or whether it's in some kind of pop psychology app or it's on, you know, it's I've seen it on morning shows and people talking about these different ways that we can just bring ourselves to the present moment. And actors have been doing that forever and ever. So it's been this really beautiful blend for me and lesson in my life to see, ah, I will teach and I will learn to be off balance on stage, always knowing that I'm playing pretend. And then in real life, that's where you want to have it all together. Do the best that you can to give yourself the permission to be imperfect, but also to know, hey, I got to show up on time. I've got to make sure that all of the things that I'm responsible for, that, you know, the script is memorized and that I've got my myself right there with the other person and that I'm really focused on what I'm doing and that I'm a good time. You've got to be a good time or people don't want to hire you. <laughs> well, I, th- I think the things that you're bringing up are kind of the, the auditions are a microcosm of that because yes, you want to, to be in the moment in the audition room. You want to have that sense of play. You want to kind of be somewhat unpredictable. And it's like, oh, then I'll go here and I'll do that. I'll take the director's comments and what they say, and we'll we'll do it again. But at the same time, before you get in there, there still has to be that diligent preparation. You need to have it memorized, mostly memorized. You need to have a sense of where you of the choices you want to make, where you want to go with that character. So there still has to be the steady. I'm a good business person slash actor craftsman, and I've done the work, and I'm solid in that, so that then. I can play around once right. the time comes. It's your guardrails. You put your guardrails on and it's like the, you know, the little, the rubber bowling alley so you can bounce back and forth and you can wrestle the alligator, whatever the alligator is, right? And give yourself the the the, the very safe guardrails of knowing, well, this was all pretend and I'm also really good at being a human. Being a good actor is one thing, but also letting yourself sit across from a table and be with somebody. So important. So when it came to that anxiety that you suffered with, wasn't being free, did that bring more anxiety? Because now you're really being vulnerable. You're putting yourself out there. They may not like what you're doing. You know, did yeah. that play into oh, it? Oh, absolutely. Because you've got to take accountability for your choices. And if somebody doesn't like you and the validation comes from them liking it, it, it can feel really scary. So it can be this cycle, right, of... Of, oh, my goodness, I did this thing. Oh, I'm so embarrassed, right? Uh, Brene Brown talks about vulnerability hangovers. And when you do a really great, you know, audition and you bare your soul and you can walk out and be like, oh, my God, that was humiliating, right? Or a performance. So letting yourself go, it's okay to be seen as a whole person. It's okay to be seen as imperfect. Also, as a teacher, it's okay to not know. If someone asks me a question... Oh, my God, what a lesson that was and how that elevated me as a teacher to be able to go, I don't know the answer to that or I've never had that experience. Uh, I would I would love to find out because the the fear that you've got to have it all together all the time for me, uh, that I've got to have it all together all the time was the thing that wasn't letting me go into a situation and learn, go into a situation and play all of it. Yeah. 
One of the things that I love is when you went to this childhood summer camp and you got a second place award. I did. So when I I went to a sleepaway camp when I was a kid, and at the end of the week, everybody gets all these awards. And they made and then they said, and for our last award, and they made it out to be this great thing. And they said, um, this goes to the person that's always helping other people cross the finish line first. It's called the second place award, and it goes to Brianna. And I thought, second place? I was so, I was, I was like, what do you mean second place? <laughs> and it was for years, this has plagued me. Let me tell you, for years, I've been like, second, second place award. Every time. It's anything, like always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Exactly. <laughs> Every time something happens, I'm like, well, it's the second place award. And about maybe four years ago, right before I had my daughter, I realized how awesome it is to be the second place award because I get to give other people permission to shine. And when I give other people permission to shine, it gives me the biggest validation and the biggest permission to shine myself. So therefore, by encouraging others, right? This is like a Buddha quote, by it, when you feel discouraged, encourage others. By encouraging others, I've constantly been giving myself encouragement. So a lot of times in my career, one one of the best ways that I get contracts is people have called me over the years and been like, we had an actress leave. Can you step into this part? This has happened to me too many times to remember. And though you feel great and you have a job and it's amazing, it's also like, well, I didn't know there was an audition. (laughs) (laughs) And it's happened to me a number of times. But I'm very, very good at stepping in and learning something quickly and filling the part in my own way without feeling like I've got to recreate something that was there. And I've had a number of calls over the years, whether it was stepping in as a choreographer or stepping in as the actress and just doing it. And I'm reliable. And that's what I am I mean by that. I'm reliable. I'll show up. I'll go there and say, yeah, sure, I'll step in. So to me, too, I've been able to make a career out of that. And that's been wonderful as well. And then I've gotten work off that work. So it's always been something that I've begun to own. And now that I'm really stepping into it, I, I the work I do with Better On Video, I'm a guide. It's called The Role is a Guide. And what I do is people record themselves on video, non-actors that are in executive roles or they're in leadership roles where they have to do presentations or speak to teams over video. And I teach them how to authentically talk to someone and let their personality be there. So I'm I'm their guide for them to watch their videos back and see what's working, what's not working, where they need to make better eye contact, where they need to let themselves be a bit more vulnerable or something simple like smile a little more or let yourself be let yourself not know, going back to not knowing, right, in a moment of interaction. And that's really been this second place award over and over again. And the feedback that I get from these people of how this is one of the most freeing things that they get to do is to watch these videos, see them, see themselves grow and get better on video, which is the name of the very well-named application, by the way, um, to let themselves see their own growth and to be there and help them 
work through the things that can be personal threats when we don't want it, when we feel cringy watching ourselves. They say, this is what's hard for me to watch, and then I help them watch it. So it's a way that I get to help people grow, and it's really that second place award, and it's made me feel amazing to be able to do that for people. Well, when it comes to that, and I think this is such an important part of teaching, but also being the, being the student, being the actor, that when you watch these videos, when you're guiding them, as you say, into ways to do it better, ways to do it differently, how do you balance that, okay, you need to be something else because what you're doing isn't working, as opposed to we need to do it another way so that you're still being yourself? You, you understand what I'm saying? I love this question because it comes up in almost every session. You are not your habits, is what I say to people. So when we separate ourselves from our habits, just a habitual thing or a knee-jerk response that we do where the camera comes on and we look away from it or we get nervous so we start to talk lower and mumble a little bit and I say, well, speak louder or look at the camera and they say, I don't do that. That's not me. Right? Yeah. And then I say, okay, well, what if it wasn't about you? What if it's just a habit? of yours and we're going to try something new. So I invite them and it's the language that we use as well, right? It's important to know that we're very attached to our habits, all of us human beings and for good reason. A lot of our habits we've created because we know they work best for us. So a lot of it is just like you said with taking the chance like wrestling the the plastic alligator taking the chance to just do what the director asks for, even if it's outlandish. So what I have people do is try things and I say to them, listen, I know this might sound ridiculous. Just humor me. This will be in our space. And if you never want to use it again, you never have to. So I take it as an offering. I, I say, here, here's an offering. If you don't want to try it, we won't try it. But see what happens when you do something that feels completely outside of yourself. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's so interesting to bring that up because it's, it gets back to that honesty and authenticity we were talking about before. Yes, we are putting on the character. Yes, we're delivering a speech. But there still needs to be this sense of, okay, well, how can I be the best me while doing this? And so that way, that's going to be the best connection with my audience, whether you're giving a business speech or you're, you know, a soliloquy, there still needs to be that connection with the audience and they need to relate to it because they're not relating to words. They're relating to you as a person. 100%. And that's the biggest thing is how can you give yourself permission? A lot of people, when they watch their videos back, they're nervous about their filler words, their ums, their uhs, and what they physically look like. And my first thing is, you are your own worst critic. When we watch our videos back, we're like, why is my one eye smaller than the other? Or why is my shoulder come up around my ears, right? We see things that nobody else sees. And the other thing about that is also knowing, is this something that I'm doing to make it perfect or make it really, really good? And then I'm losing me in it. So when someone says, I... I notice that I use filler words. I say, uh, um, I say like, can you help me stop doing that? What I usually say is, I want you to not worry about those because we're not going to do that right just yet. I want you to first talk to me and not worry about being on camera, which is one of the hardest things to do, right? And then what usually starts to happen is the filler words fall away because they're coming from the nervousness of the script of what we have to say and get it right. And then we play more with authenticity and spontaneity 
and they say, hey, I'm not doing that thing I thought I did as much, (laughs) which is the magic and the fun of just giving people permission to be, which is what I think I ultimately do. It's about helping people get out of their own way. You already know how to do it. You're a human. You know how to communicate. You know how to talk. So let's just get out of your own way and have permission. It's interesting that you bring that up because as an actor turned podcaster, it was only once I started listening to myself that I hear the the ums and I hear the stuttering that I didn't realize was there. And I would repeat, uh, I, I would repeat, I would, you know, th- these things that I would do as I talk. And as I've become a podcaster, I've tried to address those issues, but I realized in addressing those issues didn't mean stop saying, uh, stop saying like. It meant being more thoughtful and present with what I needed to say. If I know the words that, if I know the, the, the intent, if I know the message that I want to deliver, I'm not going to be umming and through it. Who am I talking to? What am I trying to achieve? Right? It always <laughs> oh my gosh, comes down to that. basics, right? <laughs> right? And also it's like this really amazing moment that you just described of giving yourself permission. So it's awareness. I'm doing this thing. And as you've been listening back to yourself and doing this now, you've already begun moving from a place of unconscious incompetence. I don't even know that I do this thing. Then it becomes conscious incompetence, right? So it's like, oh God, how annoying I do this thing. And now I'm facing it every time. And then it becomes conscious competence. I'm actively trying to not trip over my words as much, to not, you know, use my filler words, whatever it is. And then you keep having the awareness, but giving yourself the permission to be where you're at. And then all of a sudden it's unconscious competence and you're not doing those things anymore because a lot of it is just the doing. The more you make podcasts, the more you do this, it's just going to fall away because that's that. And that is the base of all of it of the the training or the theory or the thinking, once we do it, we just start learning and we just, it falls away. I love it. I love it. Well, this has certainly been an enjoyable conversation to have with you and dig into these things, the, the psyche of being an actor and just the mental, uh, the, the mental strain that we can put on ourselves can be overwhelming at times, but it sounds like that through your own experiences, as well as the teaching that you do, you're helping us kind of get out of our mind, but at the same time, still use what we have to be the best character, best actor, but also the best person. Yeah. They're not that far away from each other. And maybe they're not far away at all. For the past few seasons, the final five has been a bonus episode to this podcast. But for season six, it's going to be in the form of a blog post, where guests will answer five final questions. Brianna talks about learning from her mistakes and the ability we have as actors to grow and change throughout our life and career. The Final Five with Brianna Packin can be found at blog.winmepodcast.com. Why I'll Never Make It is a Win Me Media production, and I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and producing this podcast. Publicity provided by Imagine PR Group. Background music featured in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Why I'll Never Make It is a part of the Helium Radio Network and a member of the Broadway Makers Alliance. Join me next time as we talk more about Why I'll Never Make It. 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.